Welcome back to the PFC podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the PFC podcast. This is Dennis and today I'm with Antonio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, and if since this is your first time on the podcast, would you mind just doing a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Uh, so my name is Antonio. Um, I'm the uh, founder of the uh, European Medics Project, and I am a uh, former EMS and currently in an MD program trying to work on my uh, degree. Nice. Where is that at? Um, it's a European country. Um, I don't really want to like give all the, the specifics okay. about like the, the exact program, uh, but like, yeah, it's, uh, it's in Europe. It's an international sure. program, so it's, uh, it's English language. Okay. Nice. Nice. Okay. So again, another reason why I asked you to come on is because, um, I found, uh, when I'm working overseas or I generally end up working with, uh, providers, from multiple different countries. Uh, they all have different protocols. They all have different ways of doing things. And there's always a lot of friction when things kind of start up because of course nobody planned this out to begin with. Um, right. So what I'd like to talk to you about is how do we, uh, how do we iron this stuff out as early as possible and as efficiently as possible so that we can move forward in providing just good care the people we need to serve right um so i think when we like think about uh doing medicine in in other areas uh it all comes down to like uh, doing your research beforehand as much as possible to like smooth out the uh the creases before we even get there uh so i think it's very important to basically do like a little intelligence assessment of the area that we want to get into um, check out what, what they have, the resources, what kind of um, healthcare standard are we dealing with? You know, what are the common practices, the people there, um, health literacy, you know, like what's the baseline function of the country? How reliable is their medical system that we're like trying to plug in? Um, what are their levels of care that the current medical system has? Is there EMS? How is it structured? What qualifications do these people have? And like, just doing all of this uh, information gathering beforehand. Uh, so when we go there, we're not overwhelmed and we can just, you know, seamlessly plug and play um, as much as possible. And uh, yeah, so I think information gathering really is the the most important thing that we can do like upfront. Yep, yeah, absolutely. The more you know, the better. Um, For sure. So once you arrive and you're actually now with the people, um, what are like the really common uh, friction points? Depending on uh, what kind of country we're, we're going to work at, like it's important to know if these people are, first of all, well-versed in our language. Obviously, uh, English kind of being the global standard, um, it's important to like understand how well-trained these providers are in English and especially in medical English, since that's not always the same. Um, and like linguistics can differ quite a bit there. So it's, it's almost like, you know, its own language that people need to learn, uh, like, you know, just common words like titrate or intramuscular. These are not really words that like, you know, you would learn in, in English class in school. So, uh, it's important to like, understand how well these people are, um, skilled in like medical English. Uh, so to like, make sure that there's interoperability, um, 
and that can that you can like provide effective patient care like especially when things get heated uh communication is extremely important um, sometimes that might need that we need to adapt. Um, so for example, uh, a lot of, uh, healthcare providers, uh, going to, you know, countries that are in active conflict right now, like recently in Ukraine, um, there was like a lot of, uh, you know, crash courses in like, uh, Ukrainian or like medical Ukrainian that people were trying to learn and like get up to speed before they uh, deploy. Um, so that's certainly a very important factor to consider. Um, there's other things. So like, you know, once we we go into like a foreign healthcare system, uh, we need to understand um, what like the process is there, what the casualty flow is, so to say, from the point of injury or like from the um, from the point where like the patient gets sick to the moment where uh, the patient is then um, basically told to go home. Um, so it's good if we like understand the whole process from EMS uh, the you know, the junctions between like the handovers, uh, all the evac assets, uh, the whole evacuation chain to the hospital, uh, what kind of process people go through there, what are the categories for surgery, um, you know, how, how are people treated, are ICUs even a thing, um, and do, does rehab exist, do these people get like rehabilitated, um, you know, if not, do they need to be evacuated, etc. So, um, yeah, quite a lot of factors that like uh, go into that. Yeah. And I mean, so like you, like you mentioned, you know, kind of interoperability, everybody has their own protocols. Yes. You would like to know those beforehand, but even within a standard protocol, each provider has their own uh, things that they like and things that they don't like. Right. And a lot of it, it's just kind of a flavor of the same thing, which um, shouldn't be a, a major problem. However, sometimes I've run into providers that are like, uh, yeah, we, uh, we treat that with dirt. So something, let's say there's an actual, like this is an actual problem. They're causing more problems uh, that in going like, this is the, the absolutely the wrong thing to do, at least in my opinion, Right. How do we get over an obstacle like that? <laughs> it can be quite difficult, especially if, you know, uh, things have always been done that way, you know, and like uh, both parties are really like really keen on on doing a specific thing. Uh, and especially if we think that like, you know, Western medicine teaches us that something is wrong, uh, what the other party might either not agree to or not be willing to accept or uh, just not not know, um, like plain and simple, like not have the the resources to, to know this thing. Um, it might be necessary to basically take charge uh, within your um, capabilities, within your abilities and uh, treat the patient in accordance to best practices by, by Western standard. Because I think what is important is to understand that the first and foremost thing should be patient focus. Uh, and what we really care about is that the patient goes home uh, unharmed or like, you know, at least treated to the best of our ability. Uh, and if somebody else is providing substandard care, then it is up to us to take charge and elevate the level of capabilities to, you know, Western ICU standard if possible, uh, wherever that might be. Uh, so, so, you know, how you reach that goal is really like situation dependent. Um, sometimes people just accept like, you know, like, European or American medics going somewhere abroad and like 
providing healthcare. It's universally accepted that these countries, you know, have a reputable healthcare system. So people might be willing to, to accept like uh, your, your medical authority. Um, if that is not the case, um, you know, debating might be necessary. Uh, sometimes you just cannot do anything because, you know, you're, you're talking to like a chief doctor in another country and you're, you're not in a position of, um, you know, of decision-making there. So you, you simply cannot do anything, uh, which is very hard to accept, especially if you, you know, have heart and soul and like you want, you know, you're passionate about good medicine. Uh, it can be very difficult to accept. Um, it might be necessary though, but like, yeah, usually with, you know, good reasoning, uh, presenting late, latest guidelines, um, one thing that I would recommend is like having your protocols uh, saved as PDF on your phone or, or like somewhere accessible, printed out if possible, uh, so that you can like show, you know, uh, black on white. Okay, this is how we do it in the US or in Europe or like, you know, wherever else you're you're coming from. Um, so there is like a common point of reference because, yeah, sometimes, you know, the the host nation that you're working in um, doesn't have, you know, like standard protocols. It's more like, you know, each clinic or maybe it's like clinician led, uh, you know, they, they have their own protocols that you need to adapt to. Um, so sometimes it's good to like bring, you know, solid resources like the, the care practice guidelines or, or something with you that you can present um, or consult telemedicine, you know, and like uh, bring your, uh, your partner that you're trying to do uh, decision-making with, bring them in into a telemedical meeting and then consult a specialist uh, in the States or in Europe or wherever you're uh, taking your consult from. Um, so those are some some methods that you can use. Right. Yeah. yeah. But and it's I not mean, always easy. Like sometimes, you know, fronts are just like hardened so much yeah. that like you can't get through it. Yeah. And you know, at some point, like it's a, it, essentially it's a negotiation, except somebody's you know uh, life and uh, um, function you know are on the line. Um, and now I know just from just normal communication, you try and just trump them. Well, I'm an American, and this is what we do. Um, that can lead into a conflict that further harms uh, the team moving forward. Um, and sometimes, one, you can't resolve it locally, and you try to take it higher, and now it kind of gets into like this medical uh, bureaucratic mess where they are trying to revamp protocols in other countries. And, you know, I think a really good example of that is the use of fresh whole blood, like in in uh, the U.S., we had been using this for a while. Europe was a little bit slower to come on board. Um, and, you know, it's still in the process of getting people on board with using, you know, blood for trauma, you know. Um, so that's that can definitely be tricky. Um, say I'm at the, you know, the, the breaking point down on the ground or something that needs to be elevated, I guess, how would you initiate that movement? Like, how, who, who would you talk to first or have them start taking over this conversation? Right. Um, I mean, if I'm like, you know, in the field and I'm trying to save my patient and they are, you know, tying my hands with, uh, you know, protocols that they use, question is, you know, do you have the authority or like practically... You know, can you just simply, you know, follow your 
you know, correct, quote unquote, uh, medical guidelines from home without getting into serious trouble. You know, sometimes that's a decision that you have to take. Like, would you rather follow their protocols or, or save your patient if it's really that bad? Um, that's a decision that you would have to like take in the field. Um, if you're actually going to adhere to their protocols. Um, if not, you can just, you know, usually I would recommend um, trying to like approach change at the lowest uh, possible level. So like if you, um, if you're working with a team, uh, try to speak to their supervising physician or like their local, you know, um, medical officer of some sort, someone that has like the power to, you know, do like local decision-making. Maybe you don't really have to like go high up the, uh, the chain, uh, because it's usually easier to like solve, you know, problems at like the local level level, uh, level rather than going up and like speaking to, you know, uh, yeah, like higher ups. Um, so that's usually an advice that I would, uh, give. Um, Yeah. So that's pretty much it, really. Like, uh, try to, like, keep it as local as possible. I mean, obviously, if there's, like, institutions that you can rely on, uh, maybe you can bring in, you know, your your institution to, like, uh, do something and you can act, like, as a liaison. Uh, those things are also possible. And, like, you know, the, the two organizations can, like, sort out these things between each other and uh, you're more of, like, a mediator. Um but sometimes, you know, that's that's not possible. And then I would just stick to stick to like your lowest lowest level, maybe the the charge nurse or like whoever you're working with, uh, or, or the medical director for for like pre hospital medicine uh, in your area that you're taking care of. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think something that hopefully negates a lot of this is like you know just who is actually in charge. You know, um, I think, you know, just good leadership, you know, medical leadership, team leadership can solve and iron out a lot of these conflicts before they even begin. It's just establishing sure. who's in charge. And because I'm in charge, per se, um, these are the things that we're going to do. We're going to iron out our team internal, at least SOPs uh, beforehand. But... Just like good primates, who's in charge can sometimes be an argument. So let's say you have two, three, four equally certified people, you know, uh, air quotes. Um, how do you iron this out? Like, do we fight or? Uh, well, ideally not. Um, I think the best way is, you know, to obviously speak beforehand, like in the heat of the moment, it's always very difficult to, you know, establish these, these boundaries and like who can tell you what to do and who shouldn't. Um, I think it's important that, you know, before the mission, whatever that might be, uh, starts, everybody sits together in a room, um, you know, talks about what they, what they're best at and what they maybe don't feel as comfortable with. Um, and then establish areas of competence, you know, and like um, make sure that, okay, for trauma, we're going to have, you know, Dr. ABC doing uh, the leadership on this. And then we have, you know, nephrology and any patient with like kidney injury, he's going to be our consultant. Um, and that we just like clearly, you know, differentiate who can do what, um, who's going to be charged when. And then once that is established, that's basically given. Um, thankfully, you know, often when we go into like other countries to work there, uh, 
we are being welcomed most of the time. Uh, so generally as like medical practitioners, we are seen as like a valuable resource and like bringing, you know, the Western way of medicine into other countries is generally accepted as like being higher standard. Um, so most of the time we don't really have to like deal with these conflicts because, you know, we're being asked into this environment. Um, so people accept the, uh, you know, the, the Western, uh, the Western way, um, you know, I, I use that term loosely, like it can mean really anything within like, you know, good, good healthcare practice. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we don't even have to get into these conflicts, you know, but if, if it happens, I would just, you know, take a step back, let them run their cases like they usually do. And then at the next possible opportunity uh, or like in the debrief, you know, get together and say, hey guys, like for the next time uh, we need to need, like, we need to know clearly who does what, um, and then you can sit down and like establish these, uh, these fields of competence. Um, and yeah, but then just adhere to that, uh, once the, uh, the next case or the next mission is on. So. Yeah. And hopefully when you did your, you know, your site survey or like your initial information gathering, um, about the medical system, you would have a, a good feeling about, okay, this is generally what they're good at. This is what they're not so great at. Um, so this is what I can add to the system rather than I'm just going to rearrange everything that they've done always and just make it what I'm used to, you know, use for use sure. what's already in place and just try to augment the best you can. Exactly. I think, um, especially if we come into like a working system, uh, oftentimes it does more harm than good to like just you know stop everything break it apart and then try to rebuild um most of the time it's it's more seamless if we as you say if we augment you know or if we supplement uh their working system with uh something that we know from home or something that we can bring to the table um and oftentimes that is also more valued you know because like if if a foreigner comes into your healthcare system and all of a sudden like starts you know throwing everything over the uh you know start starts every, uh, throwing everything overboard um it can feel quite invasive and that is leading to more conflict uh right off the get-go so um yeah i think uh, what you just said is is really brilliant like try to augment uh, be an asset and not you know demanding and like uh trying to take up space uh so yeah it, it all comes down to like you know um yeah. tact basically yeah. and you need to be very tactful with that yes yes um and there's a lot of things that i think we can learn from you know these local providers they've been dealing with this problem for months years decades centuries um and so they've just process of elimination like every other human being they've developed this based on what they're able to get if it's especially you're, you're dealing with like clinical medicine you're dealing with tropical disease you're dealing with something like that that they have to do deal with frequently find out what they're doing find out what they use to work that does work you're you know is it actually any better or worse than what you planned on doing you know what I mean? Um, you know, and there's just numerous examples of like the local treatment works. Like it may not be perfect, but it does work. Um, and it's just it, one, it'll educate you and make you a better provider to at least consider what it is they're doing and not just dismiss it because it's different. 
For sure. I think that's very important, especially as you mentioned, like tropical medicine, like these are things that we um, oftentimes aren't familiar with. Uh, we're going into the host nation and then seeing these diseases for the first time that we've been studying in textbooks. Uh, and it's important to recognize that we have certain competencies, um, but the locals have theirs and they've been dealing with these problems, as you said, for decades. Um, so they probably know why they're doing things a certain way. Um, and it's extremely important that when we go into these situations, um, yeah, we're trying to augment. So we're open-minded and like we're trying to learn and we're trying to utilize their healthcare system to the best of our ability. Um, and yeah, being flexible and, you know, trying to fit in, um, trying to learn as much as possible and being humble, uh, is very important. Um, also, you know, makes for good like team dynamics. If they see that you're trying to learn and like, not just, you know, you know, be like, um, yeah, have a superiority complex. Uh, so I think that's, uh, that's very, very important. Um, obviously there are certain times where like local practices are, you know, not suitable, um, I've recently spoken to a good friend of mine uh, who's been doing uh, work in Africa and Tanzania, and they have this practice that they uh, are calling cutting. So basically they um, take, you know, a rusty old scalpel blade um, and do like, you know, numerous tiny cuts in the skin to, to let out the, the bad ghosts uh, and the demons, you know, out of the patient. Uh, so obviously there is like a limit to, to like local practices sometimes. Um, but uh Sometimes it's really useful, you know, and you can use these, uh, so, uh, for example, local anti-venoms or something, you know, to your advantage and uh, really enhance patient care. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years later, you will find these things on PubMed, you know, that you've uh, heard from like some uh, local practitioner. So, um, yeah, sometimes it pays off. So, you know, it's really as usual, like it's personal judgment. Yeah. Yes. Yep. absolutely. Um, since you've been working in Europe for a while, and I'm sure you've bounced around to different places. Um, what are some like conflicts that you've run into and how have you resolved these things? Well, I think um, across Europe, most of the healthcare um, is pretty standardized in terms of like um, best practices. So like use of antibiotics, you know, use of uh, certain uh, treatment techniques, um, and especially with like the establishment of things like the um, European Resuscitation Council or, you know, the American Heart Association is also very prominent in, uh, in Europe and like a lot of um, European centers use their guidelines. Um, so care has been pretty streamlined. However, there's like uh, more of like structural differences between uh, clinics. So, you know, the ways that people would do handovers, for example, um, with uh, like i've noticed that quite a bit in like pre-hospital medicine uh so for example a, a pre-hospital team would come into the you know the er with like a critical patient um and you know the nurses would be upset that like certain procedures haven't been done in the pre-hospital space because like they're used to having patients delivered with like you know certain types of uh, documentation or uh, procedures done you know um, ivs etc you know ios uh, or like certain drugs given um, or intubated or whatever that might be. Uh, and you, you know, went with a different approach to managing these patients. And then like the expectations are a bit different. Um, and, you know, you, you run into like a little bit of drag um, on these like uh, handover times or, 
you know, structural differences like, okay, this patient in our world, they would go to the ICU. Um, but this hospital that you're working at, uh, working at maybe doesn't have an ICU or like the capabilities are different. Um, so they would rather, you know, keep that patient in the, in the ER and they don't understand why you want to get rid of them, uh, to like higher levels of care. So it's more of like structural things, uh, that I think are like the, the biggest differences within Europe, um, obviously there are differences in protocols for, for example, our, uh, HEMS teams, like the, the helicopter EMS teams, they are, um, getting on board more and more with like whole blood and all the research that has been done in the U S, um, versus like, you know, uh, hospitals in, in Eastern Europe, um, or like central Eastern Europe, they're a bit slower, uh, on that, you know, and like if you order, two units of blood, which, you know, would be considered standard on like a HEMS unit, uh, that they carry that, um, maybe, you know, you, you get a weird look, uh, why, why you want to do that. And, you know, maybe people are not up to speed with like the latest research, uh, and they, you know, think it's high risk or they, you know, they doubt the, the benefits. Um, so yeah, these are, these are some of the things that I think, um, are like the, the points of conflict sometimes, uh, but like generally the practices are, are pretty much, um, common and like commonly shared. Okay. So like take, for example, you know, the handover. Easily one of the more dangerous times for a patient um, because information is lost, information is not documented, things like that. Um, how do you how do you sort that out? Like, you know, this this car is driving. We're going to try and change the tires while we're driving. So like, how do we how do we do this in efficient in, a, in an efficient way? Right. Um, again, communication and information exchange. Um, before we, you know, step foot on the medevac asset, like whatever we use or what, you know, wherever we are at, like in this medical junction, like in this, you know, junction between like units, you know, whether that is in the hospital or between hospitals or, you know, in the pre-hospital space or just between providers in the pre-hospital space. Um, I think the best way is to assess their flow of information because what we try to do again is like, you know, provide good patient care, meaning that the patient gets the procedures done that they need done in a timely manner and that this isn't lost. Um, so it's important to understand where the information goes, you know, um, like what is the end goal? What, what systems do the hospitals have in place to like take down this information? Do they have digital protocols like databases? Is it, you know, paperwork? Um, then actually go talk to people, talk to the nurses that fill out the protocols, um, talk to the ambulance guys that, you know, uh, do the evac or like whoever um, operates these these uh, databases and have a look at the documentation. What information do they take down? Um, what are the intervals, you know, like uh, everything, just like have a look at their, like at their, um, uh, at like their data infrastructure um, and try to understand what you need to provide them with to like make it, make it fluid, you know? Um, and then obviously like, Paper doesn't lie. You're going to take pen and paper with you, your basic handover sheets that you're used to, um, and just, you know, sticking a piece of paper into like the, uh, the patient documentation with the data sometimes does all the difference. And even if the, you know, target hospital that you're delivering to or the other provider isn't used to your handover sheet, if you're using um, standardized medical language, you know, and like um, common abbreviations and, you know, graphics, 
um, standard names, uh, then it should be like the the other uh, the other provider should be able to like decipher what you mean and basically uh, input that into their into their system that they're uh, operating. So um, yeah, beforehand, go ahead check out what what they have. Um, try to like cater to that as much as possible and you know, if nothing else works, you, you do your own thing and you, you keep documentation uh, ready that you can pass on to the, to the next person. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, so we're getting close to time. Uh, Antonio, you also have a podcast. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, it's on um, almost all all the platforms. Um, it's called the Euromed Podcast, and we um, invite guests over to talk about uh, different medical topics. We have discussions there. Uh, so, if anyone is, is interested, obviously, uh, I'd be honored if uh, if they check us out. Yeah, nice. Uh, what kind of topics? Obviously, medical, but is it more civilian side? Is it all over the place? Uh, thankfully, we are pretty well connected into like uh, most of the the medical sphere, so to say. Um, so we have both uh, civilian pre-hospital medicine that we're talking about with uh, really awesome guests um, that I'm very honored to have there. Uh, we talk about uh, military medicine. Uh, we talk about the the gray area in between what we call guerrilla medicine. So like you know, kind of uh, unconventional warfare type stuff. Um, what we've recently seen in Ukraine, um, and, uh, then also just basics. So like if, if someone is like, uh, a civilian, they just want to learn more about it and we do have like a little series we call medical basics and they, uh, they can listen in there and like we, we discuss, uh, topics from the ground up. So, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you, Antonio. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Uh, I've been a listener to the uh, PFC podcast for quite a while, so uh, it's an honor to be on the other side. Um, so, yeah. That's it for today's podcast. Be sure to go to our website, www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC podcast. Our boy is waiting there for you.